Well, welcome in, everyone, to another edition of This Week in Hockey, now the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors This Week in Hockey, along with my good buddy Joe Vitale, who is back this week. I'm Alex Ferrario, and, of course, we are back live this week also uh, because of a tough uh, tough news this past Wednesday when we found out the passing of Bobby Plager, and we played a little best-of show uh, for the passing of Bobby. And, Joe, well, let's start there, my man, because I know it's been a tough week for everybody of the news of passing and Bobby Plager, but I'll say this. As tough of uh, a update as that was when we found out about Bobby, I really enjoyed the last week of seeing everyone's messages of Bobby, the impact that he has, and really kind of the uh, the positivity coming from St. Louis when it comes to a man that had such an impact on everyone. Yeah, I agree, Eric. Uh, excuse me, Alex. I, I would say, if anything, that it went it pivoted quickly from sorrow to kind of celebration, which I was really excited about. Because that's how Bob would want it. You know what I mean? I think that, you know, that, that first game in the first couple of days, it was really emotional, really sad. I thought it was actually sadder, sadder when the Blues actually came home yeah. for that second game after the passing. So on home ice, of course, they salute the family. It was an emotional one for a lot of people in the organization. But then I love how quickly, like I said, it pivoted to the celebration of what he was, what he meant to the individuals, to the organization, to the city of St. Louis, to the people around him. And then, you know, you look at Bob and his entire life, and he was just a giver, giver, giver. And I love so much that the Blues did it right, and everyone in St. Louis did it right in homage to the wonderful person that Bob Plager was. I know you, me, and all of us in St. Louis will certainly miss him. Yeah, no question at all. And it was just cool to see all that honoring of Bobby Plager around the city of St. Louis. But, man, we finally made it. We're at the stretch run of the season. For me, this is the best part about the hockey season, whether it's a shortened year like this year has been or a normal season. When you hit that final month of the season, that's where it really starts to feel like playoff hockey, doesn't it, Joe? Oh, absolutely, man. I mean, I tell you, not usually in April. Usually this is kind of around March time, but given this tightened schedule and the way everything was kind of pushed back, April 1, man, that is the date. That is the time that I was looking forward to when the schedule came out, not only because you knew this is the last five to six weeks of the season, but also because the push is on. And you know that the Blues would have to be earning points come this down the stretch because of the opponents they were going to be facing. And I'll be honest with you, Alex, and I feel like you, you probably would agree with me here, I think come January when the schedule came out, I didn't think we were going to be approaching April quite to the degree that we're approaching it right now. I was thinking more like scratch and claw, point here, point there, to see who can take over this West Division and hopefully win the division come second week of May. But I think now we're looking at it in a very different light, but it's still a good light, right? So the new light is this. It's a fight for fourth right now. It's a fight between three teams. Now, there could be a couple surprises here and there. Maybe St. Louis goes on a run. Maybe they do give Vegas or Colorado a run for their money. Or maybe, let's say, San Jose Sharks go on a run. I mean, you never know. Those are the surprises. But for me, if it ends this way, which I do believe it will, you're going to have that Colorado, Minnesota, in Minnesota, uh, excuse me, Colorado, Minnesota, Vegas kind of uh, dwindling there in the top three. And to me, it's a dogfight for that fourth. And it's going to be the St. Louis Blues, Arizona Coyotes, and LA Kings. Two teams, two of the three of are going to be in the end tonight and not to mention the Arizona Coyotes playing the Colorado Avalanche with an opportunity to leapfrog ahead of the St. Louis Blues for the first time in a very long time. So after today, the Blues could find themselves on the outside looking in, but a lot of exciting hockey coming up, some great opponents. And I think the Blues fair share very well against those top opponents like Vegas, Colorado, Minnesota. So it's going to be exciting. It's going to be a dogfight. I know a lot of people are excited about March Madness because basketball, uh, spring training and baseball is around the corner. And then to me, Baseball, excuse me, hockey playoffs right here, and this is the most exciting time of the year. 
I'm sure looking forward to it. Yeah, hundred percent, Joe. And you know the the part about it with this this grind in and people think I'm crazy when I say this that the Blues are positioned in a good spot to get into the playoffs because they're taking on these higher level teams. And I know they've struggled against you know Anaheim and San Jose and Arizona and the LA Kings. I don't know about you, but those games have just been boring hockey. Like the, no, no, none of those teams have 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 brought the Blues into the game, into the fight. Whereas Colorado, Vegas, Minnesota, those teams are feisty. Those teams are nasty. Those teams will bring fight out of the Blues, which I think is what they need right now. Not any of this like neutral zone hockey that's just kind of passive and not as exciting. Well, to your point, Alex, I'll take you back through a conversation I had with Ryan O'Reilly when the divisions were dispersed last January. I think it was around December, early January, before the season really got kicked off here. A lot of fans, a lot of people around the hockey world thought that St. Louis would draw to that southeast division with the Floridas and Carolinas and the Nashvilles, and they thought that Minnesota or Dallas would have to go out west. Well, it was kind of at the last minute the Blues got thrown into this West division. And I know a lot of people were upset initially because, of, oh, there's going to be a lot of late start times, which the NHL did a pretty good job with. But the worst part about it was I think a lot of people thought that the Blues were actually going to have a tougher time getting into the postseason being in the West because you're facing Vegas, Colorado, Arizona. Those California teams always kind of nipping at you, right? They're always a tough team to play against. So that's where a lot of people's minds thought and went to. Then I talked to Ryan O'Reilly about two or three days after they drew into the West, and I asked him, I was like, hey, what are your thoughts just generally about going into the West and maybe not going into that Eastern-South division over there? And he said, actually, I like it. And I was kind of surprised. And I thought he was just kind of being nice, you know, just trying to be cordial, and this is like the cliche thing or, you know, the old the old adage in hockey, you just might as well make do and just stay positive. But it really right. wasn't. He was genuine when he said this. He said, I think we do better against predictable teams, predictable teams as in Vegas. Colorado especially, and even now the Arizona Coyotes to some degree, and certainly the Minnesota Wild. Predictable in the sense that you know exactly what they're bringing. Yes, they have a deep lineup. Yes, they have high-caliber offense. Yes, they have a deep defensive core, and they have great goaltending. But you know what they're bringing every night because what they do works. Now, the Blues can counter that very well because they've always gone up against teams that when they're predictable, they can do very well. And you go back to the 19 playoffs with the Winnipeg Jets. And they stormed through Boston. And then, of course, San Jose. And then Dallas is another one as well. And then they backed that up in 2020. Predictable teams they do very well against. And on the opposite side, to your point, Alex, unpredictable teams they do very sloppy against. For some reason, the Anaheim Ducks have come into St. Louis and this run our show. I remember a couple years ago going to Buffalo, a game we should have won, and we dropped it. New Jersey Devils, it was pitiful. There are times we've gone around the league and we played these like mediocre to sub-mediocre teams, and the Blues just kind of have a way of playing down to the level and playing to the style of their opponent, and it just doesn't suit them that well. So I think this team does much, much better against opponents that are that higher class and higher caliber. So again, Vegas, Minnesota, and then of course you're looking at the, the, the juggernaut of Colorado, which we're going to be facing this coming weekend. I do like our chances. I I agree with you. I think it's going to be something where it's going to bring out the best in the Blues. Yeah, and that's where I'm at, and I'm looking forward to this upcoming month because I think that challenge is something that these guys can step up to. And I know people hear that comment, and they're like, oh, well, what's your excuse about the Vegas Golden Knights? There are some other issues that are at hand, and we'll get into the injury situation in our next segment. But, Joe, when you look at this team over the last stretch of hockey, where do you feel like the biggest struggle is? Because for me, I, I know it's a team game, but I look at the defensive side of this and just the the 
the turnovers that are happening, and Craig Berube talked about it on postgame after that most recent loss to the Anaheim Ducks, and he said they're simple mistakes that we're making, but they're mistakes that are turning into goals. And I think those turnovers, those plays in the neutral zone, the, the missed body check rather than the stick check, that's where this team is kind of suffering the most, in my opinion. Well, and just to get back to your quick point about anyone who argues, you know, what about the Las Vegas Golden Knights? You just tell them that up until the last home and home set we had against Vegas, we had not lost to them yeah. in, in in regulation. All one goal games. Point. All one goal games too, and we had never lost to them in regulation up until that last home and home series. So again, I like the chances against Vegas. Yeah. You know, from from this point moving forward, Alex, where do you go from here? To me, it it, it always will have to start and always will always begin and end with the foundation and the core of what makes this team successful. And not just the Blues team, but every team. And you've got to start taking better care of the front of your net. Mm-hmm. Now, that's easy to say, and it's easy to say, oh, let's just correct it, put bodies there. It's a lot more in-depth than that. But I think that you go back to when the Blues were really struggling before that San Jose back-to-back, going back about a week and a half, two weeks ago. They came into San Jose. I think they won the game 5-2, to two, I want to say. Uh, leading into that game, it was almost a struggle as it is right now. And I remember talking to Mike Van Ryan. It was a call-out session for Craig Ruby. He called out some veterans. Things needed to change. But the biggest thing that needed to change as the Blues approached that back-to-back against San Jose, which they won both, by the way, was defensively it was so much tighter. They were trying to break down the defensive zone where the first guy wasn't going hard enough. And when that guy doesn't go hard enough, it's tough for the second guy to get a read. And then it's tough for the centerman to kind of get in that depth position where he needs to be. Do the wingers creep, creep down? So that first guy going hard and that second guy in for support, that has not been very good in the Blues' defensive zone, and that kind of sets up everything. So, again, I think you go back to the drawing board again as the Blues have continued to kind of get a little bit sloppy in those areas, and you've got to start there. Defensively, first guy's got to hunt. You've got to go in the corner. You've got to smash. you got to create separation. you got to find the loose puck for the second guy and the third guy in support. Winger's got to be in position. Their stick's got to be ready for the puck, and then, boom, you're out of the zone. If they can do that, I truly believe that everything else will take care of itself because you know the neutral zone. They're going to get back pressure from those forwards. You know in the offensive zone, this is a disciplined team. They're going to keep in high forward to produce that back pressure in case the other team is going the other way. But the thing and the struggle about it right now to me is just that D zone. It's just got to be quicker. It's got to be a little bit more more hungry there in the D zone, especially below the goal line. We've heard Craig Berube use the word confidence a couple of times. And, Joe, we go back to when Mike Yo was fired in Craig Berube's press conference as the head coach. First words out of his mouth was, we got to instill confidence in these guys again. They're a good group. It's so strange to say that because it's a group of guys. Yes, there's been turnover, but it's still a group of guys where the core has won a Stanley Cup. Why do you feel like a confidence has been lost in this locker room? You know, confidence is lost because you're losing. Yeah. And that's just as simple as that. You know, if you want to start winning and you want to start feeling more confidence again, well, you got to start winning and you got to start producing. You got to start scoring some goals and getting some W's and scratching and clawing for some points when you're absolutely desperate. That breeds more confidence. But if you have to start anywhere, it's got to be your work. It's got to be your work ethic, and you have to work your way through this. I had a coach once tell me it was, it was a brilliant advice. I'll never forget when I was in Pittsburgh and I was really down in the dumps and I was slumping. He said, there's no life boat coming, Joe. It was Tony Granato, who is my assistant coach. I'll never forget it. And Craig Brewery's message to these guys is going to be the exact same thing. Guys, there's no life boat coming, Alex, because really there's not. Yeah. Uh, there's there's not and you know the only hope for a lifeboat to come is Colton Pareko and Ivan Barbashev and we did get some good news on that front but I want to get Joe's thoughts on that it's this week in hockey presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Alex Ferrario Joe Vitale with you we're back after this to dive into the injury situation for the Blues here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN
Back in here on a Wednesday night. Uh, Blues will be back at it on Friday against the Colorado Avalanche. A two-game road trip out west, or I guess, yeah, somewhat out west. Mountain time zone, same thing. Geography, not my best category. Joe Vitale, uh, we did get some good news for the Blues today, or at least trending in the direction of good news, and it was that Ivan Barbashev was on the ice along with Colton Pareko. Now, Craig Berube was very... Uh, plain when it came to his answers on both of these. He said there's a possibility that Barbashev can return on Friday. Colton Pareko training in the right direction, but they want to see kind of how he uh, responds to another day's worth of practice. Let's first start with Ivan Barbashev. This is an interesting one for me, Joe, because when he went down, it was an ankle injury. And when it's a lower body injury for a player, especially with ankles, that takes some time to get readjusted and back up to game speed because obviously you can't skate with an eight when it's an ankle injury, but this is, seems to be good news for Ivan Barbashev. No, it definitely is, Alex. And I will say one thing. It, yes, you hate to see ankles. You hate to see hips and knees, of course. Anything low body restricts you from being back on the ice and staying in skating conditioning shape. And I will say one thing. There's nothing like skating. Yeah. Players will talk about this a lot as far as trying to stay in shape by going on the bike going on the treadmill but when you're not skating you're using different muscles it is a completely different show so for Ivan it's going to take a little bit of time hopefully to get up to that kind of game speed get in his legs into game shape but the other good thing too is it was a broken bone not necessarily a high ankle sprain which you would think a broken bone would be way worse but I'm telling you for hockey it's those high ankle sprains and those things with those ligaments in those ankles that are the real bugaboos those things take forever to heal and as soon as you think you're okay after four or six weeks you go out there and you re-aggravate and it's another three to four weeks and they really need an entire summer to get fully healthy broken bones are a little bit different those are something that when you're in the hard cast you kind of mobilize it and then when that bone's ready to go you're ready to go so the tendons the muscles everything around there is healthy it's ready to get going so for Ivan Barbashev absolutely Alex this is a huge plus for the St. Louis Blues is it everything we need back I don't think so I mentioned this the other day you know we talk about what has changed in this Blues locker room uh, how are we hurting from the depth and from all these personnel people that are missing well, I mean, think about the Alexander Steen, Ivan Barbashev, and Oscar Sundquist yeah. line. That was so awesome for this team. I mean, they don't win a cup without that fourth line, right? You have all three of them that have been out of that lineup for a little while now with Oscar kind of going down a few weeks back. Of course, Alexander Steen's situation. Now Barbashev finally coming back. So Barbie's one of the three pieces for sure. So it's going to help you. Is it everything you need? Absolutely not. But he's going to bring back that fight. He's going to bring a little feistiness, some speed, some giddy-up, and some dependability and some responsibility and trust from his head coach and Craig Berube, who's seen Ivan in the minors. He's seen him kind of grow into the NHL player that he is. So I, so you bet your bottom down at the PK, end of the uh, shift, you know, start a period, finish a game, six on five, block a shot, 49. He's a guy that Craig Berube has so much trust putting out there. And then from there, he's going to create a lot more trust and confidence for all the players around him. So it's a huge plus. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because you mentioned that. I mean, two of those three guys on that pivotal fourth line in that cup run, they're not coming back anytime soon. Both Steen and Sundquist are done for the year, and Steen, of course, being done for his career. But you said something, the game that Oscar Sundquist was injured in, and I found it really interesting, and you said his injury is going to mean so much more for Ivan Barbashev's return, and that's kind of a bigger load that he's going to take on. Now, I don't know if he's going to be viewed as a third-line player because he had success on that top line when he was healthy or if he's going to be viewed as that mainstay on the fourth line. But either way, getting Ivan Barbashev, Joe, that's going to be huge for this team. Not going to solve all of the problems, but I think that's going to help with the identity a lot more than what people give it credit for. Well, and Ivan's going to kind of fit into that fourth-line spot, I think. I mean, listen, we saw a couple games this past 
uh, little trek here where uh, Tyler Bozak was playing fourth line. Now, Tyler Bozak did a fine job, but I think he's a third-line anchor guy right in the middle. Now, of course, Dakota Joshua has been doing a fine job fitting in this at fourth line. But ideally, you want to move Tyler Bozak up to that third line. Robert Thomas, you want him to kind of sneak in there in that second line, move Braden Shen out to the wing. And then, of course, uh, the rest of the way for as far as Ryan O'Reilly right down the middle in that first line. So for Ivan Barbashev, to me, he's right there in that anchor spot in the fourth line. You build the team around the middle. Every championship team is built around the middle. You have to be solid down the middle. And not for the St. Louis Blues, they have great options. With Ryan O'Reilly, Braden Shen, slash Robert Thomas, Tyler Bozak, of course, we all know the veteran that he is. And then now you have Ivan Barbashev, again, a player you can put over the boards that you know is going to do his job and he's going to make everyone around him better. So to me, you have four slash five very solid centermen right through down the middle that you can put out there in any given moment. And you know that the middle of the ice is going to be taken care of. Now, it's no disrespect to Dakota Joshua. I think he's done an absolutely fine job since he's been called up. He's actually been one of my biggest surprises of the year. I didn't even know the kid's name coming into the season. I don't even think he got invited to camp. So to think of what he came in here and did, what he established for himself, uh, that was a pretty remarkable thing. Now, are you going to run to the Stanley Cup final with Dakota Joshua anchoring this fourth line, like the fourth line we saw in 2019? We could. We could. But I do like my chances a little bit better with Ivan Barbashev, and that's what the Blues are going to have now. The other one, and this is the big one, Joe, in my opinion, and I'm sure you feel the same way, is Colton Pareko. He's continuing to skate. Craig Berube said today that, you know, it's training in the right direction, but they're taking it day by day to see how he reacts to that day's worth of skating. Colton Pareko, he's not going to fix all of the issues because, once again, much like Ivan Barbashev, this is a team thing. But I think Colton Pareko fixes a lot more of the problems on the back end and fixes more of the confidence issues if he comes back, if when he comes back. And it all depends on, I guess, too, kind of what percentage he's going to be when he comes back. Yeah, you know, and this is going to be, I think, a little bit more time. Do we see Barbashev this weekend? I think we could. I actually think we will see Ivan Barbashev sooner rather than later. Uh, Colton Pareko, to me, it's it's a little bit different in the sense that uh, those back spasms, they really can kind of be tricky where you think you're doing okay, but then you kind of have a couple setbacks. You know, just trying him out in practice, him taking one-timers like we saw on the ice today. Yeah. Him taking one-timers, see how that goes. You know, see how the body adjusts. More so, wait to see how you feel in the morning. Not so much after practice, but see when you sleep on it. How are things moving from there? How are things progressing? Again, he's a big body. These big bodies, it takes a long time, and these spines are all kind of out of whack given they put them themselves through the ringer. You know, our bodies, we're not meant to be on ice. We did not evolve to play a sport like hockey on blades, skating across an inch of ice. It's just not what we were made for. And then especially big bodies, they have to move even extra more weight with the spines extra longer. So for Colt Pareko, it's going to take some time. You know, do we see him at some point in this pat this next month heading into the playoff run? I think we absolutely do, assuming he can and he is willing, which I believe he will be. And I think that Ray Brilli and the coach is going to be smart about it, methodical about it, but also take care of his health, but also take care of this team in the sense that when he's ready, if he feels like he can go, you got to give him the opportunity because he's an, he's a fearless guy, right? He's a fearless guy that's not only going to be fearless for his team, but he's going to instill fear. And the opposing team, of course, the visitors come into the locker room. It's a different feeling when Nathan McKinnon comes in the locker room and he looks at the right spot of, you know, let's just call it whoever in that right position, that top line, whether it be Justin Falk or Robert Portuzo, and you're going to have those guys still. But then also when you see 55, Nathan McKinnon's thinking, geez, this guy's huge. He's a big guy. He keeps to the outside, huge stick like Scandella. Uh, you know you're in for a little bit more of a night than if you're facing someone else. So Colton Franco's not only going to bring you that fearless competitiveness that he always does, 
but he's going to instill a lot of fear in the opponent as well, which is going to be huge as the Blues face some big-time teams coming down the stretch like we talked about. Do you think there's a point, Joe, where this season Craig Berube, Doug Armstrong look at it, and this is obviously very dependent on Colton Pareko, but could there be a point at some time in the next couple of weeks that they look at this and say, you know what, Colton, you're trending in the right direction, but we don't want a chance on this being a lingering problem for the rest of your career. So, you know what, shut it down for the rest of the year, continue to work out, and make sure you're 100% to go next season. Absolutely. Absolutely, that can happen. And you know what, Alice? Um, To me, that wouldn't surprise me if his back isn't still 100%. This is a franchise defenseman we're talking about here. This isn't a guy you signed to a one-year deal where you're kind of waiting around for him to kind of hopefully you're basically trying to use him as best you can. And then when he comes a free agent, becomes a free agent. I know it's kind of kind of sad, but there are players that, you know, a lot of organizations just use for their benefit. And then they kind of be like, okay, well, you're done. You're done. I'm sorry. Move on. But that's business, right? That's life. I know it's not fair. I know it sounds kind of crappy, but there are players on these one-year deals or when their, their contract's up, if the team's not ready to reuse them or re-sign them, but they can use them in a game. They can help them win. Well, it's a little bit of a different situation than if you're Colton Pareko, where you know this Blues team has invested in you uh, for a couple more years, and then you become a, a free agent. And then they're probably planning on signing you to a big long-term extension because that's what I believe you have earned and deserved. There's a couple of people in that class. Of course, Colton's one. Vladimir Tarasenko, we saw what happened with him. With his shoulders, if you're not healthy, you know, Vladdy, take a seat. You're our, you're our franchise goal scorer. You're, you're our elite sniper. We're willing to kind of put you on hold and just kind of roll the dice for this year because at the end, the long term is far outweighs what's going to happen in the short term. Colton's the same way with his back. If something happened to Tory Krug, he fits in that caliber. Justin Falk's the guy, certainly Ryan O'Reilly. If something ever happened to Ryan O'Reilly where he could play, but it's some, one of those things where you never know. It could be one of those things that could really kind of sideline him even longer and can really kind of maybe mess up his whole career. Then, of course, you put him on the sidelines and say, you know what, I know you're ready, but we don't feel comfortable. The doctors don't feel comfortable, and we need to have you kind of sit out. Could that happen with Colton this year, especially as something as sensitive and tender and fragile like a spine and a back injury for a big body like him as much as his physical? Absolutely it could happen. If that's the case, the Blues just have to make do and kind of do that next man up rotation, just kind of roll the dice and hope what they have is going to be good enough to win another title. Well, you talk about those big defensemen and, you know, staying healthy and dealing with those back issues. It gives you a ton of respect on what Zdeno Chara has done with his career, doesn't it, Joe? I mean, I'm looking through his numbers. He's had one – I'm sorry, he's had three seasons, and two of those three came in the last couple of years. Three seasons where he has played less than 70 games. And this is a guy who started his career back in 1998. I mean, 6'4" foot nine 250 pounds and he has been basically an iron man in the nhl that's impressive isn't it well he trains he trains like an iron man yeah that's part of the reason why he was so sustainable you know and a lot of people out there think it's just it could be freak or just got luck of the draw maybe (laughs) this guy just doesn't happen to get uh, injured but it's not i mean zidane chara is a horse in the gym he treats his body so right he goes from yoga to jujitsu to to weight training and he he's He's uh, mastered so many things off the ice that have helped him in his body maintain uh, the limberness and the flexibility to prevent injuries along the way. And for a big, big body, absolutely, it's hard. Another one like this I would compare to closer to home for St. Louis Blues fans would be Jay Bowmeister. Yeah. Jay Bowmeister, what a career and how long did he ever play? I mean, it was absolutely insane. He had that hip surgery the year before Mike Yo gets fired, right at the end of the year. He comes back in Mike Yo's last year. And then he really is struggling to kind of get up to speed. He gets healthy strikes for the first time in Toronto. It just seemed like it was taking forever to kind of come around. Uh, Mike Yo had a great press conference. I'll never understand when, when Jay Bowmeister was struggling. He said he just needs some time. 
These hip injuries are not easy to get through. I will tell you one thing. And he went on a 20-minute rant about Jay Bowmeister and how professional he is and how he is showing up in the gym. He's the first one to show up at the gym. He's the last one to leave with the trainers. Even at the old age that he was, and you see this a lot in NHL. I remember those locker rooms, Alex. The older guys, usually the last ones there and the first ones to leave. Their body, their minds, they're emotionally, they're exhausted. They're, they're freaking tired, yeah. right? But Jay was a guy that showed up all the time constantly in gym constantly rolling out constantly using the ropes to stretch out and to me the bow meesters the, the daniel charas those guys have lasted so long being those big kind of lengthy slender kind of bodies because they put in the work it really at the end of the day it's always about how much work you're putting in to take care of your body and your body will take care of you no matter what all the time i'm looking forward to hopefully getting some good news on colton pareko he's joe vitale i'm alex ferrario we will take a break if colton pareko isn't available Sets up a really intriguing trade deadline for Doug Armstrong, but also there's a lot of teams out there that are going to have an interesting one. Joe and I will touch on that in just a bit here on your home for the St. Louis Blues 101 ESPN. It's the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors this week in hockey. Back in here on a Wednesday night, Joe Vitale, Alex Ferrario with you. We are... Boy, we are about to approach the month of April, which is the stretch run for the NHL to get into some postseason hockey. But it also is the month that we see the trade deadline in the National Hockey League. And, Joe, let's start first just big picture, because I think this is going to be a very intriguing trade deadline for a couple of reasons. One, we know that the quarantine period for teams that are trading anybody from Canada to Canada, it's now seven days. It's not the 14 days that we initially thought that got set back a little bit. But on top of it, you have the expansion draft to look and talk about as well. So teams could be viewing their roster and saying, ah, you know what? We want to improve, but we got to make sure we keep our roster intact so we can protect some of the players that we're not able to protect with this upcoming expansion draft. Well, absolutely. And then also, Alex, keep in mind, you could actually get players that you're willing to pay this, this coming next year, but that you want to put into the expansion draft next year you know what i'm trying to say yeah. so general managers can work it however they want where let's just take you take a guy and you want you want to improve your team for this season you feel like you got a good window you gonna make a run at it and he's got two three years left on the deal you know in, in the past the deadline a lot a lot of deadline players were the guys that kind of were up they were going to be unrestricted free agents at the end of the year to me i look at this expansion draft in that same kind of way any guy you can get if you don't end up liking he has multiple years left on his deal you can put them in that expansion draft. So to me, I think this is going to be one of the more lively, active trade deadlines that we have seen in a very long time because of that reason. Let's just take you say you take Joe Schmo from Buffalo. He's got three years left on his deal, right? And you end up bringing him in. You're not locked in for three years. You're, you're just, there's nothing about that. If you think he's going to help you win a cup this year, bring him in, see how it goes. If you don't like it and you kind of figured out your expansion draft kind of lineup and who you want to protect and not protect, maybe he's a guy you unprotect and you know that Seattle, of course, maybe will take him if he's that type of player. So this opens up a whole different, a whole big picture of windows. Uh, Doug Armstrong's definitely got his hands full with this one, and it's going to be tough because we're up against the cap like most teams are, and with the flat cap heading into next season, Alex, this, this is going to be a very interesting one, dicey one, but Doug Armstrong, uh, I know he's probably the first to tell you he's really happy and excited that he's got a full team behind his back of analytics and, and financial guys that can kind of work through the and navigate through the peaks and valleys of all this craziness. But 
I, I do. I think it's going to be one of the more active trade line, deadlines we've seen in a very long time. Yeah, I do as well. And there's so many teams out there that need players, and we'll touch on that in a bit. But let's first talk Blues, Joe, because, uh, you know, Elliot Friedman set kind of the hockey world on fire a couple of days ago by talking about how he's hearing that the Buffalo Sabres have had contact with the St. Louis Blues. Now, by no means did he say that he thinks Taylor Hall is going to be a St. Louis Blue, but he said, I wonder if Doug Armstrong could work that out. But you bring up Taylor Hall's name. You talk about defense as an area of upgrade if Colton Pareko is unable to perform. But then you also talk about depth players to where Doug Armstrong has to fill the void of an Oscar Sundquist that is gone and an Alexander Steen that is gone. I mean, there are so many different directions that Doug Armstrong could go in to upgrade this team. But the question becomes, how do you get that player to acclimate fast enough? And does that benefit you in the short amount of time that you're going to have with him? Yeah, I mean, to me this year, I think Doug will make a move. Doug, to me, has always been a, a general manager. That He's always told me, he's always told everyone, you know, the players kind of dictate how active the general manager is going to be at the deadline. Yeah, We've seen him, you know, the year before 2019, the Blues dictated that by not playing very well, and he got rid of Paul Stastny. Uh, the following year, of course, the Blues are playing very well heading into the deadline. He doesn't do one thing, not one thing. I think maybe he got Delzato, I want to say, in the 19, but a, you know, a 6, seven, a 7, 8 yeah. defenseman, just someone for insurance that he kind of threw in every now and then. I don't think he even played one playoff game. So, But he didn't do a thing because the team dictated how they're playing. Well, Alex, unfortunately now for the St. Louis Blues team, as we're approaching with a week and a half, two weeks here coming up on the deadline, you know, I think this team is, is playing themselves in a position where their general manager is going to have to make a move. Now, where does that move come? Well, the only place to me that the move will not happen is the goaltender position. Yeah. I think from there, everything's wide open. I think you can improve defensively. A lot's going to depend on where Colton Braco kind of flies under the radar with all this stuff. Is he going to be ready to do the trainers and coaches think he, they can get him up to speed where consistently they can depend on two, two and a half months of really good hockey for Colton Braco logging 25 minutes? That's a lot. Now, keep in mind, that's a lot. We go back to the, will, will Colton Braco be able to handle that? We don't know. If he's unable to go, to me, you got to really focus on the defense and you got to try to improve your team uh, from the back end. If, if he's going to be okay, Alex, I, I do think that there are some holes that certainly can be filled from this top from this top aspect of, of this team. You look at how Craig Berube has tried to line shuffle. I mean, he has line shuffled his butt off <laughs> for the past two and a half months. I, I, I can't remember one game where except maybe that San Jose back-to-back a couple weeks ago where the lineup was the exact same. Now, yeah. a lot has to do because of injuries, of course, but sometimes even when they're healthy, just the constant line shuffling, trying to find chemistry. And to me, when a coach is doing that that much, then you've definitely got to bring in somebody who can kind of solidify some line. I mean, you look at the, the, solidify, the solidification. Ooh, that's not a word, solidification. <laughs> uh, Ryan O'Reilly, Schwartz, and Tara Sinkler in that last game. To me, that was an impactful line. And then you go back to that San Jose game where Kyra O'Reilly and Perron had a night. You know, there should be a line – at least one, hopefully ideally two, on this team that can do that almost night in, night out. Not consistently every night, but that's why you have one or two lines that can kind of fill in and be that be that Marchand and Bergeron and Pasternak line. Something that can go out there and produce for you, at least create a lot of momentum. And for right now, the St. Louis Blues, it's so sporadic and all over the place. The lines are constantly being shuffled where I think you can bring in a forward and certainly have that impact. I would not recommend bringing in Taylor Hall. I, yep. mean, I, don't, I saw that report too. Taylor Hall, to me, not only with the high price tag, I think he's hitting $7 million, I want to say, something. It's $7 million. Million. <laughs> eight, eight million bucks right there. So, A, I don't even think the Blues can afford it. They'll definitely have to free up some pieces. But I don't think it is worth it. I mean, Taylor Hall has had issues and problems winning wherever he has gone. And it's not a knock on him. I think he's a fine player. I think he's a team player. 
but he is just not fit in to a system that is trying to win hockey games, whatever it's him not being able to adapt to the system or this, or the system isn't really adaptable for the kind of player he is. I mean, we've seen the struggles of Mike Hoffman at times this yeah. year, as far as coming into a system, how long it's taken him. It's kind of taken to the point where he was a healthy scratch last game. Now I do believe we will see him in a really good spot come Friday night, but at the same time, sometimes those players have rough times kind of coming in and fitting into a team system. Taylor Hall to me, Alex, he's one of those players. So I would, I would uh, proceed with caution with that one. Yeah, I agree 100% on that. I actually shot that idea down at the first intermission of that last game when Elliot Friedman made that uh, comment saying, like, this is not what anybody wants on their roster right now. You know, a couple of teams I'm keeping an eye on, Joe, that are going to be interesting with this trade deadline. One are the Florida Panthers, as we all know, that gruesome injury we saw to Aaron Ekblad, uh, of course, their captain in the last game for the Florida Panthers. They're in a three-way tie for the most points in the National Hockey League now. Nashville, who looked like they were going to be sellers, they've gone on a win streak now to put themselves into a playoff spot. And then you also have the New York Islanders, who sit there two points behind the most points in the National Hockey League. They lost their captain. So those are three teams right there that I highly expect to be active at this upcoming trade deadline. Yeah, Nashville's been a bit of a surprise. They have a ton of injuries right now, like a boatload of injuries. Yeah. Wow, and they're still kind of winning, but John Hines who is doing a hell of a job, who uh, coached being the Miners in Wilkes-Barre, and he's just a motivator to the core, history major at Boston University. He's really got the National Predators up and running. You know, it's going to be funny, Alex, to see what general manager – I mean, usually these general managers, they got their buddies, right? They got, they got their GM buddies that they, they do a lot of work with along the way, and sometimes they don't like each other, so they don't do a lot of deals together. Yeah. But, I mean, what, wouldn't it be – it's going to be funny to see the general managers doing exchanges with teams that you would never would yep. have imagined. Them, like, I think it's like, like what would be a perfect situation for the Blues and the Blackhawks this year to make a deal? Like, you would never see that. They've always been the same division. Or the Same Blues and the Warriors. Nashville Predators. Like, could you imagine the Blues trying to make a push for Matias Ekholm from Nashville? Uh, two teams that'll see each other again next year. It's it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So again, you know it's only a one year deal, kind of this whole setup, and you expect to get to normalcy next October. So you don't expect to see a lot of it. I don't expect to see it at home, which would be a huge bonus. Oh yeah, for the St. Louis Blues, they could work that out because I think next to Roman Yossi, obviously Roman Yossi's the the spotlight guy of that organization. But Ekholm is such a beast, the way he gets up and down the ice. So keep an eye on him for sure. And he's going to get paid. He's going to make some serious money. But it could happen. I mean, you can see some of these things. You can see some of these, um, you know, whether it be Dylan Strome from Chicago and different players. And Connor Murphy is kind of coming up. I think his contract might be up as well for the D-man on the back end. Different players kind of being bounced around against these uh, rivalries. Dallas could be doing deals with St. Louis, yeah. uh, especially because they're definitely going to be a seller. Look at how atrocious they've been this season. So it could be could be a fun deadline without question. I'm I'm looking forward to it. But again, I think it comes down through this Blues team and how they're willing to play within the next week and a half. It's going to tell a lot. Hopefully, this next week, uh, whether Doug Armstrong needs to be active or inactive moving forward. Yep, without question. All right, Joe, we're going to take a quick break and come back with our favorite segment. What's up with that? I'm going to give you a little teaser though. What do Colin White, Zach Sanford, Colin Blackwell? Mason Appleton and Matthew Joseph all have in common. Stay tuned. We're going to get into that next on What's Up With That. It's This Week in Hockey presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Final time tonight here on the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors This Week in Hockey along with my buddy Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. Blues will be back at it on Friday against the Colorado Avalanche. 8 o'clock puck drop. I'll have your pregame starting at 7 o'clock. All right, Joe, I left you with a teaser. What does Colin White, Zach Sanford, Colin Blackwell, Mason Appleton, 
and Matthew Joseph all have in common? They're all hockey players. Uh, well, they, they are all hockey players, and that is a hundred percent correct. So I will give you a a consolation prize for that one, Joe. How about this? Those five players all have more points than Jeff Skinner and Taylor Hall, along with Jack Eichel, combined in goals. Oh, oh, that's a dagger. You know, we <laughs> talked about that a couple weeks ago. It, it hurt when I said that Kyle Clifford has more goals than Taylor Hall and Jack Eichel and Jeff Skinner. But this one maybe this one maybe when you combined it like that, Alex, that that stings a little bit. Yeah. Is Jeff Skinner even playing anymore? I know he was a healthy scratch he, for a while. He was a healthy scratch. He's been playing, but he hasn't been doing much. I think he picked up an assist the other night. It was insane to me that Jack Eichel, Jeff Skinner, Taylor Hall combined make twenty seven million dollars and they combined have seven goals. Colin White, Colin Blackwell, Mason Appleton, Matthew Joseph, and Zach Sanford. All of these guys have eight, nine, or ten goals on the season, whereas those three superstar players have seven. It's unbelievable. You, you know what's even crazier? I forget where I saw this the other day. I hope I don't butcher it, but it's pretty close. So check it out. The Buffalo Sabres and the Buffalo Bills. Yep. They compared. Did you see this? Yeah. They they compared the two teams uh, going back to February of 2020. So a little over a year ago, the Buffalo Bills, I want to say, have, have had 15 victories since then. <laughs> yep. And then the Buffalo Sabres have had 14. Is that accurate? <laughs> That's accurate. Buffalo oh Sabres have 14 God. games since February 1st of 2020. The Bills have won 15. Let the, I'm going to repeat that. I'm going to let that sink in for a second. February 2020 to this day, the Buffalo Bills have won 15 games. The football team. <laughs> they play 17 a year. And then, yeah. of course, the Buffalo Sabres have won 14 since that mark. So it's, the football team has won more than the hockey team in the past year. That That's just embarrassing. It, I'm it, sorry, it's embarrassing. Thank God for the Buffalo Bills or everyone would be moving out of Buffalo. Oh my God, people would be losing their mind. It's unbelievable. Bar Down put some incredible stats out there. So the Sabres now match the NHL's longest winless streak in the 21st century at 18 games. Pittsburgh had 18. Pittsburgh had 16. Phoenix had 15. Nashville had 15. On top of that, they literally, I don't know if you saw this comment from Rasmus Dahlin after that game the other night where the, the Sabres were up 3 nothing and they blew the 3 nothing lead to Philadelphia and they lost in an overtime 4 to three Rasmus Dahlin after the game said we had a panic attack we haven't been in this situation and we panicked and then the topper for me Joe this is even more impressive than the Taylor Hall stat I gave you on top of the Buffalo Bills that you said the bill are the Buffalo Sabres have been shut out seven times and they've won six games they've been shut out more games than they've won that's sad <laughs> I Going back, going back to the the, the winless streaks, you, you caught my attention with the Arizona Coyotes. That must have been in what 2017, yep. Alex? Is it 17? Yep. 17. Was... Uh, Paul Bisson, Paul Bissonnette was the first. That was his first year in the booth for the radio play-by-play, uh, and I never forget him telling me the story. It was his first year. They started the season losing 15 in a row. Like they didn't, they didn't win, and then won like a 15 game. I think they their first 15 games that season. I, I want to say I got that right. But he talked about how hard it was to me. We were having some beers one night, and he was like, "Oh my God, I thought I, I was gonna I was gonna drive off a bridge. It was so <laughs> painfully exhausting. We lost, and finally, I think they were in Madison Square Garden, and they were winning the game by like two to one. And then I think the Leafs, or excuse me, the uh, the Rangers come down. I want to say 
gosh, maybe it was Kreider comes down and buries it with like 10 seconds to go. And, and then Cameron <laughs> shot, shut up and turned it over to Paul. And Paul, uh, he sent me the recording of the call. He's like, I, I, uh, I don't know. What to say. <laughs> <laughs> it was just dead silent. He's like, it actually, I did had no idea what to say. Those are some tough stretches for some tough teams, but my goodness gracious, the Buffalo Sabers, I, I don't even know where to begin. Yep. I don't know where to begin. If uh, what Jason Botterill kind of did to that team and kind of the way they left it, I, I don't know if you if you sell and then you rebuild again with Jack Eichel, who's getting close to his thirties now. I mean, not, not not close to his thirties, but you know, he's in his mid twenties yep. now. He's been in the league for a while. And then do you do you rebuild and then you're not going to be really competitive until he kind of is approaching his 30s? Do you get rid of Jack Eichel and start fresh and get a huge number of assets and first rounders and maybe some really good prospects and kind of start fresh over from there? Uh, do, you, do you try to be competitive? Do you, do you try to keep Taylor Hall and then kind of revamp it with some other pieces? Maybe you feel like you're a goaltender and a big-time defenseman away from actually making a push and try to keep Jack Eichel? Uh, I don't know, Alex. I, I'm – I'm as I'm as clueless as every fan in Buffalo right now. It's insanity right now, but I just I, these stats just popped to me, and I just couldn't believe it. That's the ultimate. What's up with that? A couple other ones for you, Joe. Uh, I'm sure you you at least pay close attention to the Frozen Four, the college hockey playoffs. Um, did you see the University of Minnesota Duluth and the University of North Dakota? They went into five, five overtimes. Five overtimes. Oh. My God, five overtime. What was last year in the playoffs with Tampa in that first round? Was that it, was uh, Columbus. Wasn't that three overtimes? I, I got to look at was it. Three? I thought it was more than that. I Maybe it was, it was more than that. Uh, Gosh, I thought no, it was it pretty long. It was, the fi- it was five overtimes between those two. It was five, and I believe it was – gosh, who buried that goal in overtime for Tampa? Was I it? can't remember. But but did you see the uh, did you see the uh, the goal for, yes. for Duluth on that – Ah, I mean, the North Dakota goalie made so many big-time saves all game, and he kind of snuck it through the defenseman and kind of right under his pad. The goalie knew it right away. Oh, my God, that was such a heartbreak for North Dakota. And you know what? I even got a kick out of the celebration, Alex. The Luke didn't even look that excited. No. They were exhausted. Like, they wanted to get the hell out of there, right? Could you imagine the feeling of – I mean, you've played in overtimes before, Joe. Like, that's one overtime. Could you imagine the exhaustion? We've seen NHL players have to get, like, oxygen tanks in the locker rooms because they're playing so long. But as a college player, playing five freaking overtime games is unimaginable in terms of the exhaustion that they had. It, mentally, emotionally, it's gone. I think the deepest I went was three overtimes in Boston. We were playing them in the Eastern Conference Finals one year. I'll never forget the second OT heading into the third, Pascal Dupuy. He was probably cl- clicking at it around maybe 37, 38 minutes up to that point. Wow. And he was on the trainer's table, and he was getting an IV, and his legs were like going like in shock, like seizing up. And he was a hard player. He played hard, but his legs were kind of seizing up. He was getting hooked up to an IV, and he was miserable. So – it's crazy for these guys to kind of keep hauling it. I mean, you saw by the second OT, third OT, I saw in the highlights, the play started getting really safe. Uh, no one was really extending their shifts past 35, 40 seconds. Uh, but congrats to all the college teams. Yeah. And a huge shout-out to uh, Wisconsin, the girls. They, they took down my Northeastern Huskies, which I was a bit sad about. <laughs> but a big shout-out to the Wisconsin Badgers for the Women's NCAA Championship as well. I love seeing the, uh, the Frozen Fours. I love seeing the March Madness. I know a couple teams got kind of dinged up about it but they weren't able to participate. But all in all, Alex, it's it's good to see some championships, some banners being raised, some 
kids getting excited to be surrounded by trophies. I certainly have missed this time of the season. It's good to see these guys actually have a full season because I remember we talked with Tony Granato actually last year in the middle of the pause uh, for a lot of those college teams and not being able to finish out those senior years for some of those players had to be gut-wrenching. So it's great to be able to see those guys uh, complete a season and be able to celebrate uh, or even just complete the season if they take a brutal loss. Joe, this has been a lot of fun, my man. I appreciate you as always hopping on and uh, doing the show with us. Enjoy the uh, day off tomorrow and then we are right back into it buddy the grind of postseason stretch hockey starts on Friday love it Alex love talking hockey with you and I'm really going to love that we're on April 1st now let's get this thing going let's get the playoff vibes going St. Louis get excited we got a great team again this year we're going to make a push for it to me it's all about get in get in you never know what's going to happen That's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. As always, we thank our sponsors, Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. You can update your home with savings on all types of flooring, including solid reclaimed wood plank and more. Take advantage of up to 15% off flooring and visit one of our showrooms in Crestwood, Manchester, St. Peter's, or online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Boardwalk has great floors for every home with better selection, better value, and the best service for more than 23 years. Boardwalk is your local family-owned hardware floor provider. That'll do it for us tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll talk to you next week for more This Week in Hockey on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN.